I saw recently a, a picture, um, and it's of this uh, older couple. Let me put it up here. It's this older couple who is reenacting a picture nearly 50 years later on their honeymoon. This is an absolutely adorable picture. Of course, uh, this has become a very popular thing among families. Uh, here are a few other of the same picture, different era that we'll encounter. Let's see this first one. Got a couple more here. <laughs> so, my brothers and I also decided that we would try to often reenact some of the pictures from our childhood. And so, this is a picture that, not that one, uh, the Hale Boys recently tried to, to reenact. It's this idea of the same picture, same scene, but different era. This is the type of context that we step into as we step into the setting of the Gospels. It is the same scene, it's just a different perspective. And so that's why we began last week and we'll move on forward in the next couple of weeks of looking at the Gospels within the New Testament because they teach us a, a broader and fuller perspective of Jesus when we're able to encounter each of the Gospels. Keep in mind they were written separately by different people in different contexts to different audiences. And so they teach us a different perspective of the life and work of Jesus. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And one of the things I'll encourage you to do, and I'll introduce this in a second, is that you actually don't turn in your text this morning. We're not going to have the words on the screen this morning, and you'll see why here in just a moment. Now, if you recall, we started with the Gospel of Mark last week. Why? Because Mark was written first. Mark was written probably anywhere between 15 and 30 years before the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. In fact, uh, we learned from biblical scholars that Matthew and Luke used Mark as one of the primary sources that they used to write their Gospels as we know it. We also know that they used another source called M and Q source material, and it helps us give us a, a, a fuller perspective of Jesus, and Matthew is going to do that. Matthew is, is much different than Mark. Mark goes through great pains of making sure he separates himself from the Jewish custom that Jesus is coming out of. Matthew is going to go the complete opposite. We could call Matthew a very Jewish Gospel. Matthew Matthew is trying to connect Jesus to the greater narrative, the greater narrative of the Hebrew scriptures. In a sense, Matthew is going to present Jesus as the next Moses, an even greater Moses at that. And so, as you notice, there are five key discourses or conversations, lengthy conversations within the Gospel of Matthew. That is no like coincidence that that Moses also had five key books that are attributed to him. We call that the Pentateuch. And so Jesus is going to be a greater Moses. He's going to take the teachings of Moses and he's going to extend it as we'll encounter today. You'll hear Jesus say phrases like, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And so Jesus is going to take the law of Moses and he's going to heighten it. He's going to elevate it to a different perspective. One of the intriguing characteristics of Jesus within this is that he is presented as this great rabbi. Now, for any of us who weren't really as part of first century Palestine, we didn't, we don't, the, that term really doesn't come to mind for us. Picture a rabbi as a, as a teacher, as a, as a pastor. See, a rabbi would have gone through literally years of training in order to be categorized in this particular way. They would have to literally be able to memorize the entire Talmud, the entire Old Testament as we know it. But not only that, at the age of 13, if they wanted to elevate their teaching under a rabbi, they would try to follow a particular rabbi. And that rabbi, upon the request of following him, would begin to grill that young man on all of his knowledge of the scriptures, his understanding of the laws of Moses, and if, and only 
only if that rabbi saw him suitable, he would take him under his wing. He would call that young man to come and follow him. And so Jesus, in many ways, is going to be presented in the Gospel of Matthew as this great rabbi, as this great teacher. People among the region didn't know Jesus, but as Jesus began to perform these miracles, as he began to cast out the demons, as he began to heal the sick, he also began to stand out because of the way he taught. The gospel messages will tell us again and again that Jesus taught with an authority unlike anything they had ever heard before. So Jesus will gather people, and he is going to teach people. And he's not going to teach people in the Midrash tradition, in the, in the Talmud, in the Old Testament as we know it, but instead Jesus is going to call people to come and follow him, to follow in his ways. You see, a good student of a rabbi, a disciple, would not simply understand the teachings of their rabbi, but instead they would want to follow in the way of their rabbi, perfectly, to the T, to learn under him. And so Jesus... Jesus, in fact, is going to do that. He's going to call people to come and follow him. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we find one of the most important scriptures in all of of the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. There, Jesus is going to invite people not to see things as the way they have always seen them, but Jesus is going to call them to radically change their way of thinking and change their way of living. It's an invitation to live and to see life 100% differently than what we've always come to see it. And there's no greater passage for that than the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to go ahead and warn you, as we actually encountered the full brunt of the Sermon on the Mount this morning, we're literally going to hit the entire Sermon on the Mount. There are no fluffy, cute illustrations from Jesus. There are no clever sayings. There are no parables. Instead, Jesus is going to challenge us with clear and resolute words what it means to follow in the way and teaching of Jesus. And so, may I give you a word of caution. By listening to the words of Jesus, they might offend you. They might challenge you. They might call you to reconsider life and inspire you to follow Jesus differently. So let's encounter these words together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 begins like this. Now, when he saw the crowd, he went up to the mountainside and sat down, and he said to his disciples... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute you because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people hurt you and insult you in my name. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again, except it is thrown away and trampled by men? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it on a bowl. Instead, they light the lamp and put it on a stand so it gives light to the entire house. Do not think that I have come to abolish the laws and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. You have heard it said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, do not have anger in your heart towards your brother. 
for you will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says to you, you fool, is in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if offering a gift at the altar, you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there, go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift to God. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you have looked at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better to you you lose one eye than to step into the fires of hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one hand than your whole body be put into hell. Again, you've heard it said to people long ago, don't break your oath, but keep your oaths made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or the earth, for it's his footstool, or Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even decide if it's white or if it's black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything else comes from the evil one. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for eye tooth. But I tell you, do not strike a person. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give them your cloak as well. Give to one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. He who causes the sun to rise both on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Die even the pagans do that. And if you only greet your brothers, what good is that? For even the pagans to do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, because if you do, you will have no reward in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that it may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. For they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive men who have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you of your sins. But if you do not forgive others of their sins... Your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will despise the one and and devote yourself to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear is life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? Yet your heavenly Father provides for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed as these grass. So do not worry about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly fathers knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough worry of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. In the measure it is used upon you, it will be measured on you. Why do you see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and forget the plank in your own eye? No, first remove the speck of sawdust from your brother's eye. You must first remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly that speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For whoever asks receives, whoever seeks finds, and whoever knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, you give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? So do unto others as you would have them do to you. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. You see, for many of us, we so often read the words of Jesus in a vacuum and and parcel and pieces that fit into our ideologies of life. But as we begin to encounter the full spectrum of Jesus' words, it literally is calling us to turn our worlds upside down. 
And to be completely honest with you, I've, I've wrestled over and over again, day after day, with the way that Christianity in America has become a faith of convenience and mediocrity. We do the church thing, we claim to follow Jesus as it's comfortable and easy. It's all too easy to be a Christian in America, to live an average life, to go with the grain. Yet as we encounter the words of Jesus, it calls us to something radically different. It calls us to be less concerned with ourselves and more concerned with others. It calls us not to be selfish, but to be selfless. Jesus presents life in a a way that's less concerned with our comfort, our security, our wants, our needs, and it's more concerned with this thing called the kingdom of God. And as we consider this change and shift in our life, it's not calling for a mere change of the way that we think about things, but it's calling for a radical change to our heart and our mind and our soul. It's calling for a radical change to our entire life as we know it. It's calling us to leave behind mediocrity and to step into something new. However, for many of us, mediocrity is the most comfortable thing. The status quo, going with the grain, never being challenged, simply building our life around the things that we want. But we find that mediocrity will not bring us to the place that God desires. So what if you and I chose something radically different? What if we chose to leave behind mediocrity and to discover something new in Christ? Or the other option is to live like Phil. Let's watch this video on Phil. This is Phil. A normal guy. Phil lives a pretty good life, works on an okay job, lives in an okay house. Just a normal guy. But maybe a little too normal. You might say Phil's just downright mediocre. Why, take school, for example. Phil was an okay student. He didn't get bad grades, but he sure did get good ones. He was always just kind of getting by. Thing is, though, the teachers offered numerous times to tutor Phil one-on-one because they could see his potential. Phil didn't want to, though. He was cool with average grades. Phil was also a born athlete. You should have seen him on the football field. He could have gone to play in college. But he didn't work out very hard, didn't take practice seriously, and when the recruiters came calling, they passed Phil by. Now Phil's married, and even his marriage, mediocre. It seems that all he and his wife do is argue. Unfortunately, they could probably work things out if Phil would try a little harder. But he doesn't want to. Phil's just one of those guys who's content with mediocrity. Thing is, Phil could change all these things and live an awesome life, but he just doesn't want to. (laughs) You know, it's easy to be saltless. 
It's easy to live dim-lit lives. It's easy to be angered. It's easy to live remorseless, lustful, loose with our promises, hateful and nasty lives. It's easy to build up treasures for ourselves. It's easy to build up our little kingdoms. It's normal to live insignificant lives that matter only to what we desire and what we need. It's easy to judge others and avoid our own shortcomings. It's most definitely easier to take the popular and most well-traveled route. And there's certainly opportunity after opportunity to live foolishly and carelessly as we live our lives day after day. It's easy to accept the grace of God and live by our own ethics, our own desires, and therefore take advantage of the sacrifice of Christ. Too many consume the life of Christ with something that Christ doesn't call us to. We've lost touch of the call of Christ to live meek lives. We've lost touch with the life of Christ that calls us to spread the Gospels. We've become so consumed with political agendas and economic perspectives and xenophobia and phobia of so many people that Christians lose sight of the the compassion of Christ that he calls us to live. On and on. We could go on with how easy it is to live mediocre lives. As the novelist Richard Yates writes, it's a disease. Nobody thinks or feels or cares anymore. Nobody gets excited or believes in anything except their own comfortable little mediocrity. A few years ago, uh, when we were building a new house, we were staying with a family friend. And if schedule was on to par, we were going to be able to move into our new house on January the 2nd. And so that year, I decided I would give Jennifer a housewarming gift for Christmas. And so I sketched out this, on paper, this beautiful plaque. It was going to look so awesome. And so I, I cut the wood, I sanded it down, I painted it. And then it came time for me to, um, like, pin the letters on there. And it was going to be so perfect. It was going to say, may this home be a blessing for all who enter and live here. And then when I started writing it, um, the pen started smudging into the paint. It looked absolutely terrible. And so I decided, oh, I'll just paint over it. And because the ink is not going to work on the paint, I'll buy these like stick-on letters and and put them on there. And so I I started to uh, put these adhesive letters on there, and it was yet another epic fail. And by the time I presented this gift to Jennifer, it probably looked like it had been better if you had just thrown it through the mud and like set it on fire and drove over it a couple times. That's how often it looked. And don't worry, there's not a picture because it's currently sitting in the landfill of Johnston County. I didn't even want her to keep it. It was so embarrassing. You see, too often this is our lives. As we try to take control of our faith, take control of our life direction, we try to put together this life in the way that we desire. We have in our mind it's going to look this particular way. It's going to be beautiful in this particular way. I'm going to have this job. I'm going to have this career. We're going to live in this house drive. These types of cars. We're going to have these types of vacations. We're going to live this type of way. And we begin to find is it's not that perfect image we desire, but it begins to look like another Pinterest epic fail to the side. And so maybe the call of Christ... No, we're not there yet. Maybe the call of Christ is a call to leave behind something that's mediocre. Maybe the call of Christ is demanding something for us to leave behind what is trendy and leave behind what is easy and follow Christ into something that is difficult. 
Christ doesn't beg you to follow down this road, but Christ invites you to come and follow. Now we can go to this. A couple of months ago, I read a story in Huffington Post, and a father decided that he would begin to imitate his daughter's sexy selfies that she was posting on Instagram instead of using the direct way of telling her how much she was making herself look like a fool. And so these are the results of what we've got. Bad lighting in here. Instead of feeling embarrassed, she actually took it in good stride. I tend to think that the imitation was better than the original. In a strange way, this is the call of Jesus. To imitate Jesus each day of our lives. Jesus called people to follow him. Not to take advantage of his grace and his love and then steer our lives in whatever the crap direction we want to go. Jesus calls us to follow him. The word disciple is a kulutheu in Greek. It literally means to follow or be the same as. The invitation to follow Jesus is to be the same as Jesus. Unfortunately, in this day and age of adapting Christianity to fit into our beliefs, our economic standards, our social perspectives, our politics, it's hard to see that following Jesus is believing and faithfully living out the way of Christ. And let's just face it, we live in a highly individualized world, and so we individualize our faith to fit into what we are comfortable with. What our politician might tell us we should believe. What this church down the road wrote a book about and is popular and they're doing well. So we should definitely buy into that. We're actually called to follow Christ. Not called to brand Christ in the way that we desire, but called to see something radically different. So what would happen if we chose a different path? What would happen if we chose to follow the Jesus revealed in the Gospels, not the one that we have come accustomed to shaping into our perspectives? What would happen if you and I began to follow the teachings of Jesus, followed in the way of Jesus? What would happen if we spent each day in prayer, multiple times a day in prayer, intentionally asking God to transform us into something new? What would happen if we asked God each day to provide us today what we need, not what we need five years from now, what we need in our savings 25 years from now? What if we begin to trust God and building up God's kingdom first? we discovered this together because the call of Jesus is not the call to follow this life alone it's called to journey together in a community of believers called the church where we wrestle in faith together where we wrestle with the words of Jesus where we begin to challenge each other to look and to live life completely different Jesus is calling you Jesus is calling me Jesus is calling all of us